Well, as you can see from the graphic, we are starting a new sermon series. I think I told you, you know, that John felt like it ended at Easter, but no, it turned out there was one more week. Well, there's not one more, one more week. We did, in fact, finish the book of John. So for the next couple months, we're going to do a new series on worship. Um, not on like the worship in terms of, oh, you know, what is it and why do we do it and all, but on the elements of worship, the, the ways that we worship. We call this a worship service. Most people probably, though, would think of it as including worship. The singing, I think most people would say, oh, sure, that's worship. But what about everything else? What about the preaching? What about the praying? What, what about even heavens, the awkward greeting? Like, is this worship? Right? Yeah, everything we do here is worship. And why do we come together and do it? You could just, you could just sing. You sing in your car driving along. Why do we gather together and do these things? That's what we're going to explore over the next several weeks. And this week, we're going to do the obvious one. It's the easiest one. We're going to do singing. Why do we come together and gather together and sing together? Why do we worship through song? And I probably don't have to tell you, yes, we worship in song. There are dozens and dozens of places in scripture that say, sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord with all the earth. Lots of places in scripture say we should sing to God. But why do we gather together and sing together? That's what we're going to look at today. So turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to do something that I never do. I think you can count on one hand in 10 years the number of times that I have just preached on a couple verses. Normally, you know, I take big chunks of scripture because you've heard me say the single most important thing in understanding scripture is context. You know that old joke about real estate. What's the three most important things about uh, real estate? Location, location, location. It's the same for reading your Bible. The three most important things are location. We call location when we read things context. And you, I'm sure, have had the experience of coming into a conversation where you didn't know what they were talking about and you got the completely wrong idea. If you walked into a conversation, a a man and a woman, a, a, a husband and wife talking, right? And the husband says to the wife, I don't care how much you love her. If she does that again, she's gone. She never sets foot in my house again. And he walks off, right? Is he talking about their daughter? Or is he talking about the cat? Right? Those are two very, very different conversations. You will have a very different response. Context is everything. What's the context? But we are in a passage in Ephesians. If you've got a Bible that divides things up and gives you little headers... The header that this passage, this end of Ephesians 5 starts in is back in chapter 4, verse 17, instructions for Christian living. The book of Ephesians is Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, but it's his explanation of the church. It is different. Most of Paul's letters are written to specific issues. If you remember when we did 1 Corinthians last year, it's just problem after problem after problem after problem after problem and him telling them what to do. Most of Paul's letters are like that. Ephesians is different. Ephesians is, he's writing to a church about the church. He's explaining the church. Just like Romans is Paul's treatise on salvation, Ephesians is Paul's 
treatises on the church itself. And Paul founded the church. He spent years in the church. It was his home base between missionary journeys. He knows the church really, really well. So follow along with me. This is gonna be the shortest scripture reading probably you have ever heard in this church and will be for quite some time. Ephesians chapter five, we're gonna read verses 18, 19, and 20. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're in this section that started back in the middle of four, which is just a a series of, of little, this is what you need to do, this is what you need, this is what you need to do. Because the first half of the book of Ephesus, so context, Paul is explaining theologically what is the church, how Jesus has saved us, he's brought us together, we're new creations, and he's created a new community of people who normally would never want anything to do with each other, Jews and Gentiles, right? Romans, Greeks, and Jews, all these groups of people, slave, free, men, women, all these different groups of people that normally would be separated in society, come together in this new community Jesus has made called the church. And then starting in chapter four, he starts talking about, okay, so what's that gonna look like? What does it mean that we live together? How do we organize this? And this is a big section where he's saying, you gotta do this, you gotta do this, you gotta do this. And he lays out at the beginning of this little section, he gives these two commands, don't get drunk, be filled with the spirit. And wow, I wish he'd written more about that because why does he put those two together? Now, both of those things are said many other places in Scripture. Lots of places in Scripture say, don't get drunk. Now, Scripture doesn't forbid drinking. It doesn't condemn alcohol. It condemns getting drunk. And you'll find that lots of places. And you'll find lots of places where the Scriptures say, be filled with the Spirit. Again, not find the Spirit, get the Spirit. You don't have the Spirit. If you are a Christian, you have God's Spirit inside you. It's part of the deal. The very first sermon Peter Peter preaches, right day of Pentecost, first sermon we know of in the Christian age, and he preaches it on the Holy Spirit from the book of Joel in the Old Testament, and his conclusion, his action point is, so repent, believe in Jesus, and you will receive the promised Holy Spirit. That's his, his, his text, is God has always promised he was gonna send the Spirit, and here it is, and you get it through Jesus. Paul says at the beginning of Ephesians, if you flip back to Ephesians chapter one, verse 13, You were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. But we're commanded to be full, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because having and being full of, we all know are very different things. I speak French, I have French, I learned French, I can get by. I've got a word for most things I wanna say, I can understand and have a conversation, but no one has ever suspected me of being French, ever. We lived in West Africa for almost a decade, okay? French West Africa. If you meet a white guy in West Africa, 95% chance he's French. There are thousands, tens of thousands of French people in the city we live in, okay? There's a handful of other European and North American people. I would speak to people, we'd talk in French, they'd be like, are, are, you, are you German? 
or are you, are, are you from Canada? I mean, at least they didn't peg me as American immediately from my accent. Nobody ever thought I was French. Oh, but my wife, <laughs> everyone thought my wife was French because she doesn't just have French, she's full of it. It's completely, it, it, it's in her. When she writes French, you'd think she was French. When I write French, they're like, why'd they let a five-year-old type this email? What, don't they have anyone? I mean, you can understand it, but the spelling, the grammar, oh my goodness. I have French, but Elizabeth is full of French. And so it comes out of her. Paul says, don't get drunk, be full of spirit. Why does he put those two together? We have no idea. One of the things I do as I prepare messages is I read commentaries. This is actually, if you ever care, go to Crema after lunch on a Tuesday. You will find me sitting there with a computer going through commentaries. If I'm not there, come back here to my office. I'm sitting at my desk reading through commentaries. Like, that's what I do on Tuesdays. I just read through scores of commentaries. I scan them, I look for stuff that's good, things I think God is saying to us. I've got commentaries on this passage from guys writing in the 100s AD. Guys who knew people who knew the Apostle Paul. They knew, they're a generation removed from this. And I've got commentaries that were written last month. Right? Nobody knows why he's saying this. <laughs> not the guy from 100 AD, not the guy from 2022. We don't know. And so we speculate, right? Is it, is it an issue of control? Because when you're drunk, you're kind of out of control. So be filled with the Spirit and be under the Spirit's control. Maybe. Is it an issue of purpose? Paul says, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Probably not a word you've used recently in everyday speech. Your translation, if you're reading another version, it may say uh, dissipation. It may say wanton living. The word means to make a waste of your life. Your life comes to nothing. You never save anything, you never produce anything, you never have anything, you're just a waste. Don't get drunk, Paul says, you'll waste your life. Be filled with the Spirit. Maybe then, because that means your life has purpose. I don't know, some people think maybe the Ephesians had a drinking problem. You know, the communion for them, you know, what for us is a little cup, I mean, it, 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 it's a whole meal. Maybe some of those guys are, are pounding the communion wine too often, and Paul's just like, no, that's not the way. We don't know. But what strikes me, what grips me about this passage, why we're talking about it today, under the issue of, of worship and singing, is Paul talking about being filled with the Spirit. When I was on staff with InterVarsity, Christian Fellowship, at the end of the school year, the college year, we would put on a week-long training camp for next year's leaders. So you'd finish school, you'd drive up to the mountains of North Carolina, you'd have a week of leadership training to get you ready for the next year, and then you'd go home for the summer. But because the colleges stagger when they end, they don't all end at the same time, we'd have to do two different weeks of that. So we sort of caught everybody. <clears throat> One year we had to do three weeks because there's just these wildly different ending times for some schools. It's an exhausting week. Two weeks are terrible. Three weeks, just the awful. You're so tired. So we are sitting around. Students come in on Sunday afternoon. They leave Saturday afternoon. You've got 24 hours to turn the camp over for the next one. We are sitting around Sunday morning at the end of week two, right? Normally we would be leaving now, but we're getting ready for group number three to come in. And we are having breakfast sitting around the, the table in the cafeteria. And I am just complaining. I am just like, I can't, why are we doing this? Who thought this up? Why didn't we just shift, do weeks two and three, and the first guys could have waited a week? I mean, I am just complaining. We're, and we're all sitting there with large caffeinated drinks, 
right? Because we are trying to get ourselves up and going for the students who are gonna be here. So we've all got these cups of you know, coffee and tea and they're full to the brim. And the girl sitting across from me, Nancy, another staff member, all of a sudden goes, and everybody's drink jumps. And of course they spill. My tea spills. John sitting next to me, his coffee spills. And I'm like, what? What are you doing? You just spilled everyone's drinks. And she looks at me and shows, yeah, Jeff, isn't it interesting that what came out of the cup was what it was full of? And she gets up and she walks away. I'm not laughing. <laughs> because what I was full of was bitterness and frustration and resentment. And because I was full of it, it poured out of me to everyone. It spilled out to everyone around me. Now, by God's grace, I'm not like that anymore. Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. Was it several years ago, the mother of one of the members of our church was in dementia care, in memory care. Um, and she was dying. And you'd go to visit her, and she didn't know who you were. <laughs> And she didn't know where she was. And what poured out of her was love. Unbelievable. Guy orderly comes in. Like he's got to turn her, you know, bed sores and, and those kinds of things. And he's apologizing to her. Okay, Miss So, you know, I, I know this can hurt. She puts her hand on his shoulder and says, honey, you are serving me. Everything you do is for my good. Don't you dare apologize for being good to me. And this, you know, big orderly, right? He's moving her and he's crying. And you can see it hurts. And she is smiling at him. And she is thanking him. Brothers and sisters, someday, if we live long enough, right, our minds are going to betray us. And all those walls I've built around my cup to make sure under stress none of that junk sloshes out anymore, that's all going to get stripped away. And what is going to pour out of you? Because I want this. I want to be full of the Spirit. So when all those walls are gone, what pours out of me is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what I want to pour out of me. And Paul tells us what it looks like and how it happens. Because that's the very next thing he says. The way he writes this, he gives the command, be full of the Spirit. And then he lists three things that do that, that happen when you're full of the Spirit. Now, we don't like huge long sentences in English, so we break it up. But he says, be full of the Spirit. And then he says, speaking, singing, giving thanks. These are three things, grammatically, the way he writes it. This is what it's going to look like to be full of the Spirit. He shows us how that is going to work. And the first thing he says in verse 19 is speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Speaking to each other. Remember, this, this is a letter about the church. He said a section talking about how do we function together? How do we live together? This incredibly disparate community of all these different people that normally would have nothing to do with each other. What does it look like when we come together? Paul says we speak to each other as we sing. Why do you sing? Who, who do you sing to? I hope you're singing to God. Again, scores of passages in scripture say sing to the Lord. I hope you're singing to God. But that's not all, Paul says, that you are singing to. And I hope you like it when you sing. I hope you enjoy singing. But Paul 
That's not what Paul says. Paul doesn't say enjoy singing. He says we speak to each other when we sing. Have you ever been in the situation (laughs) where everyone else stops singing except for you? (laughs) You know that song we did a couple weeks ago? It's got this great bridge. Day and night, night and day, let worship arise. And of course, being a modern worship song, we have to sing it like 800 times because there's a law somewhere. And I really like that, right? I am getting into it. Day and night, night and day, let worship arise, right? And we just sing that over and over and I lose count and I lose track and we hit time number eight or whatever it is and the band, you know, everything slows down because we're gonna go back into one more verse. But Jeff did not slow down. Jeff is just belting out day and night. And there's no noise in the rest of the sanctuary, right? You notice that you just like, right? You just, you shut up so fast. It is amazing the feedback loop between your ear and your mouth when you realize no one is singing but me. Imagine if that's what church was like. Imagine if you came here, we're all here, and the music plays, and nobody sings. When we sing, Paul says, we are speaking to each other. All the things that scripture says we're supposed to do, to to encourage one another, to speak truth to one another, to speak words of life. Paul says one of the ways that happens, it's not the only way, we'll talk about lots of other ways in coming weeks. One of the ways that happens is that we sing. You are not just singing to God, although you're absolutely singing to God. And you're not just singing because you enjoy it, I hope you enjoy it. When you sing, you are singing to each other. A friend of mine, I was with him this weekend, he gave me the best example of this. He talked about a family wedding. He and his wife went to the wedding of a member of her family, and she was the only one of all her siblings who came. And one of her siblings, the wedding was live uh, simulcast, live cast. And so one of her siblings watched the wedding and then posted on Facebook how wonderful it was and how much she enjoyed it and how moving it was. And she talked all about herself. This is what I got out of the wedding. This is what I saw. This is what happened. And my friend said to her, it was no different that she wasn't there because she got to see everything right there on the TV. I mean, it's even more convenient. She'd have to drive, she'd have to get dressed up. For her, it was so much better not to be there. But for every one of us at the wedding, he said, her absence was a huge gaping hole. The fact that she chose not to come. Great, she posted how much she loved it and how wonderful it was, yeah. But her absence was not wonderful for the people who were there. We don't gather Just because we're this group of individuals who have decided, oh, I think I'll come to church today. Oh, I think I'll go to DCC today. We gather here because we are a community, Paul says earlier in Ephesians, that Jesus has created and we speak to each other. We encourage each other. We build each other up by singing together. When you sing, you are singing to all the people around you. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking you haven't heard me sing. I keep my mouth shut for all the people around me, okay? No. I sit in the front row, okay? I hear everybody behind me. It is so encouraging to hear somebody behind me singing with all their might, it is well with my soul. And they couldn't carry a tune in a bucket, And who cares? 
because they are singing it and I know what's going on in their life and I know what that takes and they are belting out truth. Okay, so they're not matching the right number of frequencies on this note and that note. Who cares? That is so much more encouraging than the most beautiful voice behind you singing absentmindedly and bored because they're just hoping I'll be quiet so they can beat the Baptists to the Kentucky Fried Chicken and get out of time for lunch. Right? You sing to each other. That's why we gather. That's why we do this all together. Your singing matters. You know, our world today will tell you, you do you. You be you. We'll all come together, but we're all individuals. You do what you want, I'll do what I want. You don't affect me, I don't affect you. That's a lie. That is not true in the church. In the church, it matters that we come together. We are the community that Jesus has created, that Jesus has died for. He has paid, bought, and created the church with his blood. And we come together and we sing. We sing to God and we sing to each other. Paul says, and it matters. And look at what he says he sings. I really appreciate it. Psalms, hymns, and we translated songs from the spirit, literally spiritual songs. Psalms is exactly what you think, the Psalms. We sing scripture, right? Hymns are exactly what you think. I mean, these words just came straight into English. Hymns are these old, traditional, religious songs that have been around in the Greek world forever. Now, they're not, they're not just Christian, right? They're, they're, they're peons to Zeus that have been around since the Homeric War that they're still singing. These are hymns and spiritual songs. It's just an everyday word for a song, only it's a song that has spiritual content. It's a song that has something to say. It comes from the Spirit or, or it's about the Spirit. That's exactly what we do. We will sing songs. You'll see the words up on there. You'll recognize the tunes. They'll come, some will come straight out of Scripture. Some are these old traditional hymns of the faith, song we've been sing, songs we've been singing forever, which I think according to Tim means like 1997 or something like that, and, and, and new, modern, just songs. They're just songs, but they have spiritual content. Right? It's not the kind of song that matters. It's not whether this, I like this song or I don't like that song. We sing to each other. Paul says, and that's how we speak to each other. That's how we encourage and build one another up. That's the first of his three things. The first thing is, okay, what does it look like to be full of the Spirit? How do we become full of the Spirit? We speak to each other as we sing together. That matters. Now, hey, I like to sing in my car, driving along by myself. Some of you probably like to sing in your car, driving along by yourself. If you're singing Christian music, Great, that, I'm sure that's worship and I'm sure God likes it, but that's not what he's talking about and there is no promise in that that the spirit is gonna be involved in filling you. Paul says the spirit, we are filled with the spirit as we come together and sing to each other. That way, that's why it matters if you sing. That's why it matters that you don't just sit there and go, oh yeah, okay, fine, this is my favorite part of the service, but I'll just keep my mouth shut. And it matters that you sing, just like it matters that you talk to people. Imagine in the awkward greeting that I walk up to Cinnamon. That's awkward. I just stare at her. I don't say anything. It matters that you talk. When you come together with people, you have been around people, right, who aren't socially adept, and they don't talk to you. They get up and nothing happens. Like, that's why it's important that you sing. The, the, Paul says, this is part of, of how we speak to one another in the church. We sing. The second thing he says, and again, it, we translate it as if it was a command, sing and make music, but it's, an, it, it's another part of his argument. He says literally, singing and making music from your heart 
to the Lord. Or your translation might say, in your heart or by your heart. It can mean any of those, okay? Now, if you have hung out here long enough, you have heard me talk about heart. What would you say if someone said, sing from your heart? I would think that probably means like sincerely, with, with some sort of emotional component. Or if I said to you, sing in your heart, I suspect we would think that that means silently. Like sometimes up here, I'll say, okay, I'm gonna pray out loud. You pray in your hearts. You pray in your minds. You pray silently. It doesn't mean that, right? Heart in this world is not what heart is in our world. In our world, your heart is metaphorically the seat of your emotions. Your head is your intellect. Your heart is your emotions, and they fight each other. They're in conflict. We have to choose between them. So you'll tell someone, right, like, don't be a moron. Use your head. Or you'll tell someone, follow your heart. Because you got to choose one or the other in our world. These guys, the ancient world, and this is true of the Hebrews, it's true of the Greeks, true of the Romans, all of them, they have a way better system, in my opinion. The head is the intellect, but the belly is the emotion. You know, we say, we hear a story, it's like, oh, my heart is breaking for them. They say, literally, oh, I have a stomach ache for them. When when Jesus sees the crowd, they're like sheep without a shepherd. And we translate it, he had compassion on them. What it says is, his gut hurt. Because the word for intestine is the word for compassion. The the word for your gut is the word for pity and mercy. That's where those emotions reside. They're down here. And we still have kind of that. We talk about your gut, but we mean it as your instinct, right? Head is intellect. Gut is emotions. Heart is where they meet. Heart is what mediates them. The ancient world does never chooses between head and heart. Excuse me, head and gut, emotion or intellect. They're mediated here in your heart. Your heart is you. It's your will. It's your purpose. It's what matters. In in our world today, where are you located? So we put little electrodes and we map your brain and we can put you in another body or we can put you in a computer. Walt Disney has his head on ice, literally. So that someday, when they figure out how to revive people and heal his disease, well, as long as they've got his head, they've got him. To us, the worst possible thing you can have in battle is a head wound. Because that brings all sorts of trauma. You stop being you with a head wound. These guys, oh, they'll go into battle without a helmet. They will never go into battle without a breastplate. You get wounded in the head, okay, it's like arm, leg, foot. Yeah, you get a wound, right? You get wounded in your chest, that's you. That's your person. You could be different. And I don't mean stabbed through the heart and dead. I just mean wounded. Just like you get hit on the head, that can change. We would say that can change who you are. They think this is you. You get wounded here. That, you may never be the same. Sure, they'll go into battle without a helmet. We'll never go into battle without a breastplate. This is you. Paul says, sing from your hearts, by your hearts, with your hearts. He's not talking about emotion. He's talking about choice. You choose to sing. You choose to make music. You choose to sing. Just like what we were talking about. We come together and we sing to each other. It's a choice. You choose. Every time you're here, you choose whether you're going to sing or not. Every time you hear a song, you choose whether you're going to sum along. Okay, because Tim's not here, right? So don't tell him I said this. 
But sometimes Tim comes in all excited and he's like, oh, I heard this great new song. We're going to start singing this. And he plays it for me and I'm like, yeah, great. I mean, the man has more talent in his finger than I have in my whole body. How am I going to tell him, wow, that's really lame. Don't sing that in a church. Some of these songs, right, day and night, night and day, let worship arise, right? I am jamming to it. Some of you are thinking, seriously, you sung that more than once? I mean, gosh, I didn't even get halfway through that. It's so boring. All that is preference. You choose. Every time we get together, it is your choice whether you sing or not. It is your choice who you sing to. It is your choice whether it's just you singing because you like to sing. It's your choice whether you're singing to God. It's your choice whether you're singing to your brothers and sisters. Yep, can't carry a tune in a bucket. But I am going to sing with vigor because it will encourage my brothers and sisters. The the words we put up, they're crazy. The things we say we are going to do in these songs, like I apologize to God sometimes as I'm singing, you know. I love you, Lord, with all my heart. No, I don't, sorry. With all of my soul. You know that's not true. With all of my strength. Okay, you know that's not true either. It just, they're, they're aspirational. We're encouraging each other because we need to. We desperately need to. And you, Paul says, you must choose. You sing, you make music from your choice, your will, the center of your being. You decide, I am going to do this. I may not feel like it, I may not like it, I may think that song, wow, we ought to trash that song and never sing it again. But you choose to sing it, because I guarantee you there's someone in this congregation who loves it and has been begging the worship team to do it again. So Paul says, you choose. And then his last one in verse 20, always giving thanks. Now, I think he means that just in all of life. Thanksgiving's the only thing that shows up in every single letter Paul ever writes. Like every single letter Paul ever writes has something about Thanksgiving in it. I think he means that broadly, but I'm gonna apply it to what he's, last two things he's talked about has been us singing together. He's talking about the church. Part of what we do when we sing is we are being grateful. We all have reasons to be grateful, even if today's a terrible day. And and you know, Sunday morning can be very stressful with kids and schedules and everything else. I get it. But again, We sing to one another to encourage, to speak to one another. We choose to sing. I think we choose to be grateful. We choose to sing to God, not because we feel like it, not because we're excited by it, not because we get something by it. We choose to sing to God because we're grateful for what he's done in the midst of a dreadfully fallen world in which tons of stuff goes wrong, right? I am not, this is not Pollyanna. Ooh, everything's great. The world is awful, but God is good. God is always, always good. And one day, and he hasn't done it yet today, but as I tell him, the day is still early. One day, he's gonna break the sky open and all of that junk is going away. He will be done with it. But he's patient and he's waiting because if he did it today, there are people that he would have to do away with and he doesn't wanna do that. So he waits We always have things we can be grateful for. I heard a podcast recently talking about a worship leader. This is from three or four years ago. Very well-known evangelical worship leader, big mega church, who quit the faith. He decided that it was all bunk. He decided it because he said, I'm sitting in a Coldplay concert, and it's like, this is no different than worship. 
It's music, it's lights, it's emotion. Everything's the same. This is no, it's all a fake. All those emotions I feel, I feel them here. The joy of singing I have in the worship service, I have the joy singing along to Coldplay. The tears I shed in the music in the worship service, I'm crying as Chris Apple or whatever his name is, is up there singing, right? He's like, it's the same. So why should I believe? And he, he chucked the faith because of that. It's not the same. Yes, concerts are great. And yet the music has emotion. God has done that. You can go to Coldplay or U2 or whatever and love it and feel wonderful. But it's not worship. It's not us coming together, choosing to sing to another. If you're belting out songs at Coldplay, you're not doing it to encourage the people around you. And if you're bopping along with a U2 song, you're not choosing to sing, even though you hate that song. And you can't understand why Bono ever sings that. It's so terrible. Here, we gather together. Heard another podcast with a worship leader. Guy I was interviewing says to him, you know, does it ever bother you that the preaching gets all the, the big press? You know, the, the, the preacher's gonna go on and on and on. 30, 40, 50 minutes. You just get 15 minutes at most to do your things. Does that ever make you jealous? And the guy laughed out loud. It's like, does it bother me that I have 15 minutes to sing with God's people? He's like, oh, you give me 15 minutes with people who love Christ. Oh, I will make hell sorry it showed up this morning. I will make hell sorry that it came. That's why we sing. Some of you, hell is on you. <laughs> hell is after you. It tried to come with you this morning. It wants to harm you. Oh, we will make it sorry it came. <laughs> we will sing. We will sing to each other. We will sing to God. We will choose to sing. We're going to choose to sing through our tears. We're going to choose to think, sing through the things we don't understand. We're going to sing from our hearts, from us, our beings, our will, our purpose. We choose to sing together as Christ's people in the midst of all the terrible things that are going on in our lives. And oh, hell will flee. It wants nothing to do with that. If hell followed you in here, oh, it will run out the door. We will make hell sorry if it showed up in this church because we will sing, we will choose. So I'm gonna pray over us I'm gonna ask God's spirit to talk to us. Are, are there ways you need to choose? Right? Are, are there things you, things you need to think differently about? Because it's gonna look different for different others. We're, we're different personalities. We like different things. We're, we connect to God's spirit in different ways. I am gonna pray and ask God's spirit, are there things we need to choose? Are we not, are we not being grateful? Are we not singing to the people around us? Is worship all about us and what we get? So that it doesn't matter if we watch it online versus we show up even though our not showing up is a huge absence to those who are here. We feel it. I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna ask God's spirit to speak to you. See if he says anything. If he does, do it. Everything he says is good. It's always, always good. And then we'll take communion. We'll remember. So pray with me. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you. I mean, we didn't read these parts, but, but the first three chapters of Ephesians are just all about how you 
have saved us. You have transferred us from death to life. You have taken us out of darkness. You have put us together. None of this happens. None of this is even possible except that you have loved us and died for us. Thank you. Lord, I pray for us. I pray for Dunwoody Community Church. I pray for us just as Paul writes to the church at Ephesus as a church, all together, not as individuals, but as a community. I pray for us as a community, Lord. Is there anything we need to change? Are there any of us here who need to think differently, who need to choose differently, who need to choose to sing, who need to to choose to, to look at things in a different way? Spirit, you know us. I don't know what's going on in all these folks' hearts and minds, but you do. You know exactly what's going on. So Spirit, we pray that you, you would speak to us this morning as we take communion and as we sing, as we make hell sorry if it followed us in here. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you will speak to us. We want to worship you in song and to encourage each other. And so, Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen. Now, we're going to remind ourselves. We do this every week. Jesus told us, do this when you get together. We're going to remind ourselves this is only possible for what he did. He brought us together. We don't just show up here. He brought us together. All these different people, all these different life experiences, it's through his blood. It's through his body on the cross. So I'm gonna pray for us. And then when I'm done praying, just get up, go to whichever station is closest. There's stations in the front corners and in the back corners. There's one right down here on my right that has gluten-free on it if you need uh, gluten-free. I'm gonna pray. After I finish praying, get up, go to whichever one is closest. Take the bread, take the cup, and then come sit back down and I'll lead us. So pray with me again. I thank you, Lord. We always start there. We always start. Thank you. You did this for us. We did not do this for you. You are not responding to us. You did not look down and say, oh, wow, those guys look great. I'll go save them. You looked down and saw that we were lost and we were evil and we hated you and you came to save us because of your great love for us. Thank you. Jesus, we remember. That's what you tell us to do. When you established this with your disciples at Passover, you told them to do this when they gathered and to remember. And so, Jesus, we do this when we gather and we remember. Holy Spirit, remind us again. Because I readily confess, Lord, a couple hours once I get home, start working on other things, I will forget. I'll get up tomorrow morning and I will forget. Holy Spirit, remind us. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Always in your name. Amen.